Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more, and this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including Samantha Harris of Dancing with the Stars fame, where we talk cancer, wellness, and her simple tips for finding, as she titles it, your healthiest healthy. I spoke with Talia Pollock of Party in My Plants about how she spent years silently struggling with unknown health issues, which led to depression and low confidence. And last week's episode with Hollywood healer Laura Saltman. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. Please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed. And if you really like it, please tell your friends about it too. Now for today, I am so excited to introduce you to this week's guest, Abby Lawson. She's an organization and design expert who with her husband runs an entrepreneurial venture around it. She loves to create a beautiful, thriving home and focuses her efforts to help others do the same as well. She is full of advice for anyone wanting to organize their home, design a new space, and even help show others how blogging can be a family-run business. While I found her and fell in love with her organization of Lego space, she is known for offering courses and free printables on a variety of topics. Now, today's subject is a more serious matter, though. Abby and I had a conversation pre-pandemic about how she is a pre-viver, meaning a pre-survivor, someone who has taken action to eliminate risks of disease. See, her grandmother, great-grandmother, and mother all had breast or ovarian cancer at a very young age. Abby shares with us her story and the decision she made knowing she was a carrier of BRCA1. BRCA1 is a genetic mutation, and those who carry it have a much higher risk of developing breast or ovarian cancer compared to someone who doesn't have the mutation. Abby's story is informative and enlightening. She's incredibly sweet, and she feels like a new friend. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am really excited to be here today with Abby Lawson. She is the an organization and design expert, and she is the girl behind Just a Girl in Her Blog, and Abby Organizes. She started this out as a hobby, being super passionate about organizing and creating really beautiful spaces, but it has turned into a true family-run entrepreneurial venture. It's really awesome. If you check her out, you will not only be inspired by what she does, but how she actually shows you in so many DIY, DIY measures, how to make this work for your own life. Now she is famous in the organization space. 
Um, however, she's also pretty famous in the traditional media space. Not only is she have huge numbers socially, but she has been seen on some really big press, whether it was HGTV, the magazine, or Country Sampler. She's also been in the Huffington Post, Better Homes and Gardens, and also in Marie Kondo's newsletter. So I am really excited to introduce you to Abby Lawson. She is going to share her story about how breast cancer has touched her life and how she is now a previvor. Welcome, Abby. I'm so glad to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I, you know, again, I actually will tell you the first post I think I saw of yours was about organizing Legos. And uh-huh. that for so many, if you got young kids, there's ways that you can organize like their spaces. But when they get a little bit older and Legos, you know, those kids just want to build more and more and they can be all over the place. Um, that was where I fell in love with you. So, and I say that. <laughs> in a, can be they can be one of the tougher areas to organize. Oh, so. <laughs> well, again, there, there's so much to love about just a girl on her blog and Abby organizes and I'm really excited to have you here. So first, can you share us, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your story and how breast cancer has touched your life? Sure. Well, um, it started actually way before me. So my um, great grandmother on my mom's side died of ovarian cancer. My grandmother, my mom's mother died of breast cancer uh, when she was only 35. And so then when I was in college, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, when she was 43. Wow, that's and young. And so with such, yeah, she was young. Her mom was young. Her mom was young. Yeah. And so um, we kind of started seeing, you know, this disconcerting pattern happening. So when my mom was diagnosed, since there was such a strong uh, history of female cancers in her family, uh, it was pretty early at that time. So it would have been around 2003 or 2004. Um, but they recommended that she would be tested for the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genetic mutations, which um, would kind of prove that she's genetically prone to breast and ovarian cancer. So she was tested for that at that time. Now the test is way more prevalent, but at that time there was only like one place in the country that was doing this test. So they sent a way to do it. And she came back that she tested positive for the BRCA1 genetic mutation. So since she had tested positive uh, for the mutation, they also then wanted to test my sister and I, who were, I was 20 and my sister was 17 at the time. And um, so they, you know, tested us as well. And it came back that both of us also are carriers of the BRCA1 genetic mutation. So since that young age, since 17 and 20, we both kind of knew that we were going to have to go through all sorts of testing from, from a young age so they could stay on top of it and uh, just keep an eye out for those cancers, especially since our mom and our grandmother were both really young when they had breast cancer. Um, and they also told us, at, even at that time, that the recommendation would be uh, that when we were done having kids, that we would have a preventative mastectomy and then um, hysterectomy and oophorectomy uh, to kind of mitigate that risk. So we, um, so the, no, 
<laughs> when you first found out that you needed to get tested, how do you remember your thoughts and and who did you go talk to? What did you feel? Yeah, I mean, so I was really young at that time. When you're 20, I feel like you feel like you're like nothing can touch you. You know what I mean? Like totally. You, 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 right. It wasn't, I don't feel like it was as scary finding out at 20 because you just feel like, oh, I'm so young. Like, even if, even if I do have this gene, like I, I don't have to do anything about it or worry about it for years. So um, in a way that was kind of a blessing because um, finding out so young before I actually had to take any, any hard action, you know, on it, gave me that time to kind of get my, wrap my mind around it, get used to the idea. And so then by the time it was time to take kind of more drastic measures, like I had known about it for a decade. And so I had had time to sneak. And not that that made it super easy or that it was fun, but just, I was glad that I had that amount of time um, to think about it. But, you know, I had just, when we found out, I had just watched my mom go through um, you know, chemo and treatment for cancer. And she had a couple of major surgeries, uh, since she had been a carrier to help, you know, prevent a recurrence of cancer. And so for me, I guess, yeah, it was a little nerve wracking to find out about it. But at the same time, after seeing her just go through all of that, I was grateful that we we were able to get tested and say, okay, this is going to be a thing in your life. And from this very early age, you're going to be able to be proactive and take steps to make sure that um, we can minimize that risk as much as possible. So as scary as it was to find out about it and to get tested for it, I was also grateful. Uh, I am kind of like a, I want to control the situation yeah. and take charge, you I know, understand. kind of person. So I was grateful that I was able to kind of, knowing that I had the gene, allowed me to kind of do that and be proactive at the same time. Now, you mentioned that your sister also carries the gene too. Did she have the same, you know, because you're in a very similar circumstance, did she feel the same way that you did? How was that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were both. So when we talked about it, like before we found out, you know, definitively that we both had the gene, we said, you know, of course, our first choice is that neither of us would have the right gene at all. Um, cause we each have a, had a 50, 50 shot. If we would have got that particular gene from our dad, we wouldn't have it. If we got it from our mom. We would. And so our first choice was obviously to not have it, but our second choice we said would be that we both would have it. Um, not one have it and one don't right. just so we could kind of walk through it together. And so we have always, that we've always done that. Um, our, you know, we, our family kind of makes makes light of stuff. We make jokes about it. I don't know. Probably if other people would ever hear us, they might think that we're like morbid, but it's just kind of our way of like making light of the situation and being like, yeah, this is a tough situation, but we can, you know, laugh and we can enjoy each other and we can support each other. Um, I am the older sister. So I kind of like that. I was the one to go through it first. Um, she has not had any of her surgeries or anything yet. So I was kind of glad that I did that first. So she could see me go through it. And then when she, when it's her time to go through it, I have already experienced that. I know exactly what it's like and I can help her 
you know, walk through it. So, um, and when I went through it, she helped watch my kids. She was, you know, there right beside me, supporting me and everything. So she has, you know, been a really big support to me and I hope I can be a really big support to her as well. Well, it's, it's amazing and lucky and blessed that you guys have each other through this. That's such a unique situation. A lot of people don't have that. Do you have any advice for people looking for support when they are a previvor? Yeah. I mean, I would, I do feel blessed. I have both my mom and my sister who kind of know or, you know, felt and experienced the same thing. Um, and I always welcome anybody. If you find yourself in the situation where you have one of these genetic mutations or whatever, um, that I feel free to email me or reach out to me on Instagram or wherever on my blog. Um, cause I'm definitely willing to talk about it as well. I got connected. There are, um, Facebook groups out there where people talk about it. Uh, and those were great sources of information for me. For me personally, I couldn't spend enough time on those just because there's so many different situations and there's some scary stories as well as yeah. lots of positive stories on there. So I did use those as a source of information. Um, but for me personally, I guess a lot of my support came through, um, you know, my mom, my sister, and my even my friends who you know, didn't have the gene or haven't experienced this, but just being able to talk with them. And my husband is, was an amazing support. Um, and I was able to lean on him as well. Uh, and so just having those people, you know, by my side during while I was going through all this stuff was a huge help. I think that's a, a, an amazing point. I will tell you from my experience, when I was first diagnosed, I thought in my head, Ooh, I need a support group. I need a support group because that's what you do when you're, you have something hard going on. And so I went to one and I left it bawling my eyes out. And I was talking to my husband in the parking lot on the phone. And he said, Karen, you have so much support around you, which it sounds like Abby, you, you do, and you did as well. And so I think I felt this obligation, like I needed to go to one. And, you know, now there really are so many different ways to your point. There's all these Facebook groups. Some might work, some might not. But I, I love that you bring up that you can get some, so much support from around you as well, even if they haven't been through it. Or you can, you know, send those people off to research getting information about, you know, whatever the hardship might be. But in this case, being genetically positive um, with BRCA1 or BRCA2 for that matter because there really are so many resources out there now that can help us get support and not just the traditional way of like going to a support group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell, tell us a little bit about you decided on doing both the surgeries a few years apart from each other. Can you mm-hmm. just share the steps that you went through those surgeries? Sure. So, um, like I said, when I was 20, they immediately started talking about, you know, when you're done having kids, you want to consider having the bigger one for me always seemed to be the mastectomies. Um, but then also, you know, BRCA1 makes you prone to ovarian cancer too. So they, you know, would talk about the hysterectomy as well. So, um, I had my, my husband and I are college sweethearts. So we got married when we were 22. I had my first son at 24 and my second 
son at 27. And we knew kind of that our family was complete at that point. Uh, and then I just waited a couple years uh, until, you know, I breastfed my second son for over a year um, and kind of, you know, finished all that. And then I waited till he was a little bit more independent. He turned three like the week that I had my mastectomy. So that was helpful too, because he was potty trained, he could, yeah. could walk and like, I wasn't, I, I wasn't going to be able to lift him. So that yeah. those kind of like logistical things um, were helpful too. I mean, obviously if you ha- have cancer, you don't get to kind of decide on the timing, but yeah. since I did, if you have the choice, right. uh, that was helpful to kind of wait till he was a little more independent. So I had just, um, I, let's see my grandmother was 33 when she was diagnosed so that was always kind of like the deadline like they wanted me to have the mastectomies done kind of by the time I was 33 or 35 at the very latest since she um, was so young I had um, leading up to that they recommended that I started getting mammograms when I was 25 so that would have been 10 years before she so 10 years younger than my grandmother was when she passed away. So I had mammograms every six months starting when I was 25. Um, and also they would do blood testing. They would test me for the CA-125 marker uh-huh. um, just to kind of check those numbers and make sure they didn't kind of shoot up really high. So we did that every six months. Uh, and then, you know, when I was done having my kids and Caleb was a little, you know old enough to be a little bit independent, um, they said, okay, you know, we can, you know, start initiating this process. So I had the mastectomy when I was, yeah, right after I turned 30. Um, and for me, it, I felt like I went, I had the surgery, I slept for a month and then I woke up and I went about my life. Like it, it wasn't really like I was worried I know some people kind of have, um, they kind of miss, they miss their breasts and they have kind of a mourning period that they go through that. That really wasn't the case for me. Um, I don't know. Again, it could have been that I had known that that was going to happen for a decade. And so like, I didn't get too attached to them because I knew they were only temporary. Um, So for me, um, I was my biggest, you know, side effect afterwards is that I was really tired. Um, and I, you know, obviously had some pain in the recovery, but it wasn't even that terrible. Um, so, uh, after that kind of month where I, you know, was really tired and slept, then, you know, I just kind of kept going and life kind of continued on. And for me, it felt like kind of the release of this burden that, because I had had a few scares. There were a couple of times. Um, during those mammograms, when you're looking for stuff, yeah. you know, stuff tends to, they, they're looking really closely and they want to, anything that they see, they're going to check on. And so when there was bound to be, you know, there were twice that I can remember that they said, oh, there's this tissue that we want to take a look at, or there's this lump that we're going to take a look at. And, you know, of course, because you know that you're yes. really prone to this and this is exactly what they've been looking for. You know, your first thought is to like freak out and be like, here it is. Right. right. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have cancer at 27 or however old I was when they found them. Um, and so that's really scary. So not having to go through that 
um, those scares and that wondering if you're going to have that around, that was, it actually felt like a burden lifted for me. Um, once, you know, I had the mastectomy and my chances of getting breast cancer now are super minuscule, like less than the average woman who doesn't have the gene. So, um, that was actually a, a, a relief. Uh, and then as far as the, I had a hysterectomy and oophorectomy, which they were going to wait until I was 35, which is how old I am now, um, to do that. But that CA125 number that I talked about them testing yeah. uh, kept going up and up and up. Uh, really? And it didn't shoot, like it didn't shoot up super high, which is what they're looking for. And that number um, is not super reliable. They, again, when you're like looking for stuff yes. and they're, that's kind of the downside of like this, all this preventative testing is they're looking for stuff and it creeped up like it was slightly above that range that they wanted it to be in. But then it, you know, kept creeping up a little higher each time I would get it tested. And so again, it was one of those things like, I know I'm prone to this. I know I have a high chance of getting cancer. These numbers are going in the wrong direction. I'm 33 and a half. Is there any benefit of for waiting. waiting like another year, year and a half to do this surgery when we could just do it now and then I could have peace of mind? Um, so I ended up getting that. Uh, it was it would have been 2017. So a, a little earlier than um, they probably would have recommended. But since those numbers were doing funny things, we figured we're just going to do it and get it over with. And that surgery, it was Physically, it was like a less uh, invasive, invasive yeah. surgery. Yeah, it was laparoscopic, but I felt like my recovery, I don't know, there's more hormones involved with that one. So I felt like it took me a little over a year with that one to feel back to normal. And it it was more, I was tired, but also kind of just like my motivation levels and kind of just getting back into the groove of life. Like it wasn't terrible. But like I used to, I am pretty like type A and sort of have workaholic tendencies <laughs> and that I couldn't get into a groove with like doing work and kind of being on top of things for like almost a year after that surgery. So even though it was like less physically demanding, I felt like the bounce back, maybe it's just because I was older. I don't know. The bounce back time for that one um, took a little longer. Well, the... The bilateral mastectomy or the prophylactic mastectomy, you're right. It's really, it's really physical and, yeah. but you're not losing your hormones. Right. And that's right. what the, yeah. that's the goal of the oophorectomy and the hysterectomy. And I, you know, I had both surgery, well, somewhat similar surgeries. Mine wasn't prophylactic. Um, mm-hmm. However, I did do the hysterectomy and but I was already, they already put me in menopause. So I had all those delightful side effects early on. Yeah. So <laughs> I will say that the one bonus right, for me was that when I had this, you know, like that is a component that I think people don't realize as much when you have that, you know, for you, it was a second surgery, but, um, when you have an oophorectomy and a, well, and a full hysterectomy, there mm-hmm. are some, you know, glorious side effects that, that happen, which could be, it sounds like, you know, sluggish or, or, um, your drive motivations can feel differently. Although I will tell you at my, um, I go to Yale 
And they have what they call it the Sims Clinic, where it's specific for people that are going through some sort of gynecological um, cancer. I don't want to say, like, you don't necessarily have cancer, but some gynecological, we'll call it issues. And they have, I mean, some of the ideas they've come up for me, because I can't do anything hormonal. I'm guessing you aren't supposed to do that either. Uh, I'm actually, I have, I'm on hormone replacement. Um, so that has helped a little bit. Okay. So I stand corrected. Uh, because, yeah, they, they seem to think because I never had cancer and I don't have my breast anymore that it was fine for me to be on, on the hormone replacement. So that has, that has helped, um, a little bit, but I still, you know, there are still hormonal side effects, even when that, that is the case because they're artificial and not your actual right. Is there anything like within that year that helped you feel a little bit more like yourself or kind of connect to your new normal? You know, everybody calls it the new normal, but it's true, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I think just having healthy habits and routines, like, um, you know, waking up in the morning and working out and doing yoga, you know, sometimes. And um, my faith is really important to me. So spending time praying and reading the Bible and, um, those types of those just like routines and like healthy life habits, eating well, drinking lots of water, you know, they sound so like cliche, but, um, just taking care of your body and getting into those healthy routines, uh, and, you know, focusing on the things that you can control rather than the things that you can't. You uh, so speak words. my language because <laughs> I I completely believe in it. And that's how, you know, I joke around that like, oh, I used to care about health and fitness because I wanted to, you know, I'm pretty petite and, and I always wanted to lose like maybe those last five pounds. But for me, after the stage four diagnosis, I felt like I did turn to healthy habits. I did. I mean, hence how Pretty Wellness was born because I was doing all this research. But to your point, it's having these habits, having, you know, in some ways, um, whether it's a mindfulness practice or a spiritual practice, it's finding 365 degrees of wellness, as I've seen it coined before, is like figuring out how to take better care of yourself, even when you're not really feeling at your best, gives you just a little bit of control. Yeah. Well, and that I think is where kind of the organization stuff. So my blog is heavily organization centered. And I think that's one of the reasons that came into me too for me uh, and became so important is because like, while I work from home, we spend a lot of time here. And so just having that environment that feels like comforting and welcoming and cozy and just uncluttered for me, that was one of those things too. Like um, that was something I could control. I could create like this environment that, I felt, you know, healthy and good about and, you know, was welcoming for me and was that kind of safe place. And so I think that too contributed to kind of why I have gotten into that and why my blog has kind of gone that direction as well. So can you share with us, um, like, tell us about your life today. What makes you happy? What do you want to share with others to help them, you know, continue or to find happiness in their own lives? Yeah, I would just say, have, first, I would say um, finding those those people in your life who are there to 
support you. You know, my husband is amazing. He's always been, you know, my biggest support system and my biggest cheerleader and knows when I need tough love and he knows when, you know, I just need a hug and um, all that. So, you know, he has been huge. You know, my kids are great as well. Both my, my parents and my sister have been a huge help to me and my husband's parents have been, you know, really supportive too. And then my group of friends. So I think all of those surrounding yourself with, you know, people who love you and understand you and support you. That is like the, the number one thing is having that, that support system in place. Um, and then, you know, those healthy habits, like we talked about and just getting into routines that um that make you feel good encourage and help you give you energy um and then uh, for me you know my faith has been essential as well I feel like you know God is the one that created me he this genetic thing that I have might be a mutation but it's not a mistake that's part of who I am and I've learned so much and experienced so much and got to connect with so many people uh, because of it and so even though it might not have been like I wouldn't have said oh yeah sign me up for that that's something I want to have and have to deal with Um, it really has been a blessing in that way so um, just leaning on my faith and uh, has been a huge help for me as well well and you I I said this to you earlier and if I didn't say this to everybody else you were so likable I can see, I can see how you connect and people connect to you because you're so authentic and you're sharing what you love and how people really can help make their lives a little better through it. Um, you know, through the blog, through, you know, I know you have done a lot of videos, you have a ton of printables. You, will you tell us more what's going on now with Abby organizing, Abby organizes and just a girl in her blog. Yeah. Um, well, like you mentioned, we have tons of free printables. If you, you know, want to get organized, we have probably every type of calendar or list, <laughs> um, all of those things on our site. So those resources are there and available. We do a ton of projects around our house um, to kind of help inspire people and give ideas for the best ways to go about organizing or ideas for how to organize different areas. Uh, if you want to get really down into the nitty gritty. We even have a course called Impactful Habits Organized Home that talks about how to organize your spaces, but then also how to um, get into good habits with organization to help them stay organized for the long haul. So we have all sorts of different resources uh, available on the site if you're looking to get more organized. Well, thank you. I am so grateful that we have had the opportunity to connect and for you to share your story with other people. And I was hoping that you would do one last thing with me before, uh, before we end every night before I go to bed, before my son goes to bed, we play what's called the grateful game. Now I've mentioned before that I truly believe this started. I mean, I wanted it to happen, but I think my son jumped on board because he never wants to go to bed at night. He comes up with every excuse, <laughs> right? You understand I, you have two boys. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And been there. so I was like, okay, mommy wants to play the grateful game or, I had said, I want us to talk about what we're grateful for. And somehow it evolved to be called the grateful game where 
he would give me a time frame and then we started with two minutes and how many things could I list that I was grateful for for that day. They could be the littlest things, but what we're grateful for and why. And then I would I would do it and he would do it. Somehow I'm always first because, you know, he always wants to beat me. So I figured if you're willing to play, um, I would love to, to play the game with you. Sure. Okay. So I'll start it out. I'll give us a minute and I will just name a few things and then I will pass it to you. And if you can beat me, hurrah. And if you can't, that's okay too, because honestly, it's really, um, I believe when we feel grateful, we get that warm, fuzzy feeling in our stomach. So I will kick it off. Uh, so I am grateful for today. I was working downstairs before my son's school started. And all of a sudden I hear him in the kitchen say, mommy, there's a cardinal, mommy, there's a cardinal, come in here. And I ran in and I saw the cardinal. And I told him a few years ago that, you know, I believe whether it's true or not, cardinals or somebody that's in your past life that may not be here that signify, like they're coming back just to say hello or to say something to you. And he knows that. And so he saw it and I ran in and I got these tears in my eyes and he gives me a big hug and he says, mommy, I think it's Grandpa Lou, who he is named after. It's his middle name. And so I just had, I was so grateful for so much about that moment. Why? Because, um, you know, it made me feel loved. It made me feel like my son is connected to his namesake, my grandfather. So I had that beautiful moment to kick off the day. Let's see. I am grateful that, um, that my husband is so supportive of my career. He helped me launch Pretty Wellness back in the day. Uh, he helped me with this podcast because he has a lot of digital expertise. And specifically this morning when the soundboard was um, not working the way it was supposed to, he helped me fix that as well. So I am grateful that he is a part of my personal team as well as my professional team. So, okay, I think that was only two, but that was my minute. I'm tossing it to you. Okay. Um, I would say I am grateful uh, for getting to see both my kids kind of find, figure out who they are and what they love. Um, tonight I get to take my one son to his piano lessons. He loves to perform and be in front of people. Oh, that's great. And my husband at the same time will be taking my other son to hockey practice and he loves all things hockey and sports. And so it's just been fun as they've gotten older to kind of see who they are becoming and how, each of them find things they're passionate about and that they love. Uh, I'm also thankful for my husband. He works on my business with me as well. So we get to work from home together um, every day. His office is downstairs and mine's upstairs. So we don't yeah. <laughs> kill each other. Um, but I am grateful because we kind of have, he has, he does kind of the back end technical side of the business. And I do the kind of forward facing and content creation side that so we each have those different strengths that kind of come together and are what has helped us allow this the business to be our kind of family business. So I'm thankful for that. Um, I am thankful that it is starting to feel like spring in Pennsylvania and getting oh, yes. warmer because oh, yes. I'm so ready to be done with the winter. And over the past few days, it has been beautiful here. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, and we were getting ready to go out of, town for my son's last hockey tournament of the season this weekend and that's always fun too because we 
love our team and we all love to travel together and kind of get to experience a new city and get to cheer them on as they play their games and everything. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. We're getting ready to do that. Well, you sound like you have an amazing life and I am so grateful. <laughs> and you won, by the way, because you had more than me. Um, oh. <laughs> but that doesn't matter, right? Because um, because it's all about about feeling that love. And there's so many studies out there about how a gratitude practice can help all of us, you know, feel more connected to ourselves, feel better about ourselves, be more successful in whatever it is that our heart desires. And so, you know, for those of you listening right now, take a moment and think about what you're grateful for. Just come up with a quick list, give yourself one minute. And, you know, hopefully if you make it a a reoccurring practice that you'll feel a a little extra positivity in your life. So um, again, thank you for listening and thank you, Abby, for being here. It's been really fun getting to know you. Uh, And for all you out there, um, I encourage you to check out justagirlinherblog.com or if you're on Instagram, go to at Abby Organizes on Instagram. Like I said, she's incredibly likable and she's really smart too. So you'll learn a lot. So (laughs) thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Well, bye for now, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first, a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us, too. If you love us, they might as well. And now my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode, and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who is thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy into my life. As I mentioned during today's grateful game, I'm grateful for some of the programs that have come out of the hospital. If you or a loved one is dealing with any disease or even surgeries, Check out the additional programs that are offered at your hospital or the satellite offices. Yale Medicine's Sims Clinic is run by the Gynecologic Oncology Department, and they use a multidisciplinary approach. My appointments with them cover physical and mental aspects of what's going on with me now as a cancer patient. They have covered topics that I couldn't imagine would have been post-cancer issues, and they have helped me and countless others find solutions to try and help me move forward with what my new normal looks like. Thanks again for joining us today. Sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.